Liberty lockdown, piss down your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have a very special guest with me today to talk about all the fucking shenanigans we've been experiencing with this election, if you want to call it that. His name is Rob, a.k.a. Libertarian in Los Angeles, at LA underscore Libertarian number one. What's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Clint? Good, man. Um, so I don't even know where this, this episode is going to go, but we have never had a conversation <laughs> other than online, so I, I am interested to see sure. differences of opinion, things like that. Like but that. Uh, What's that? Got nothing prepared, so. Uh, perfect. That's how What's I like to do it. <laughs> so, um, first off, what's your take on the shenanigans that we're witnessing? At, I mean, obviously, as ANCAPs, we don't much care, but I, I still think it's important to pay attention to. Have you been? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think we kind of knew. A lot of us knew this. It was going to go this way, didn't we? I mean, we were talking about this three months ago, six months ago. Yeah. How yep. can there? How can there not be election fraud? The way our system is set up. Yeah. That's, well, that's and, and with COVID, they, they really, you know, doubled down on modifying the, the voting system deeply just prior to this election. And mm-hmm. then they advertised for, you know, the past few months, very aggressively that Trump would reject the outcome of the election all while having structured it in a way that the outcome of the election could only be in doubt. And then they had polls saying that, you know, Trump had no chance of winning whatsoever. He was trailing by, you know, 10 points in many of the swing states that he's now, you know, neck and neck coin flip with Biden on. And yet they prepared us for exactly what's happening. And I, you know, call me crazy, but that that seems to me orchestrated. What do you think? Well, it's pretty obvious to certain people and to other people, they have no clue. Some people just take things at face value and they know that and, and they use that. What I'm surprised at is I thought that Biden was going to do a much better job. You know, I thought he was just going to win. No one was going to ask any more questions. I didn't realize that they were going to have so many problems implementing this little scheme that they're doing. They're not good at it, you know, which gives should give us hope. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah. as smooth as, as we thought they would be. But uh, it's what can you say? That's democracy, right? <laughs> well, I, I tend to believe that our system used to be a little bit more legitimate than it is now. I could be naive. Um, I know Michael Malice points out often that, you know, the system and, and everything that's been going on has been happening for a very long time. I, I tend to believe that he's correct, but he overstates the amount of um, propaganda that we experienced uh, in the past to try and make it seem as if today is, is just status quo. I just don't think that it is. Um, it, it could, I could be mistaken because the internet has given us access to so much more information. And, and in fact, we were being lied to just as aggressively in the past. I, I wouldn't sure. discount that as a possibility, but these elections in particular seem extremely questionable. And I'm not so sure that we had such ridiculous practices in the past, particularly with the mail-in vote things that we you know, threw into the mix. Absolutely. But there's been, I mean, you're in California, right? Are yeah. In California. <laughs> I mean, there's been stuff on the California ballots every two years that makes me scratch my head. There's, there's been polls that go one way and the votes go the other way. And, and you, 
have the uh, the district attorney writing the propositions in, in very confusing and kind of reverse ways. So oh, yeah. we've got to oh, be yeah. used to it. Cal uh, and you, you never know because, you know, we have to take them at their word every two years, every four years. We have to take them at their word that they're running a legitimate election. And there's, there's just no way to know. Well, yeah. I would much prefer not to take their word for it because I think that they are absolute scum of the earth. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure you, you agree on that part. But mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, do you have any opinion as to the outcome? I mean, do you think that, that there's any hope of Trump actually overturning this stuff in court, kind of how George Bush did in 2000? Or do you think it's a done deal, you know, signed, sealed, delivered for Biden? I don't know. If anybody can do it, Trump can do it. But he's, he's got the deck stacked against him. But this is a man who, I mean, he's a, he's a New York real estate guy. This is a guy that he wouldn't pay his workers if, if they screwed up on one thing, you know? Sure. So, even though I don't, I don't like him at all for this particular situation, how many, how many, how many presidents would have conceded by now? Most of them, probably. probably. This guy's not going to concede. And well, I actually like that about him. Uh, I think in this particular situation, given the, you know, how heavily the deck is stacked against him, it just makes sense to me that he should fight. Um, you know, whether or not it turns out that there was actually as much fraud as it, as it appears that there might have been, I, I don't really care. I think that it's important if you believe in this system continuing to exist and function in any seemingly meaningful way, uh, you have to believe that getting to the bottom of these fraud allegations is vital for the continuation of the system. I personally view it as a net positive for freedom, just that the system is now going to be deeply, deeply in doubt by a bunch of people, millions of people, maybe 70 million people that used to think it was legitimate. Maybe even a few Democrats might open their eyes and say to themselves, wow, this does look sketchy. And I think that that's a net positive for, you know, libertarian movement and cap movement, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, for sure. It's gonna definitely going to open a few eyes. Uh, unfortunately, most people are just going to point across the aisle. Yeah. This, this just yeah. proves that the Republicans are corrupt. corrupt. The Republicans are just going to say, this just proves the Democrats are corrupt and we get nowhere. And that's the, that's the safety valve in the system. That's why we can't just point at government because half of the people can always point at the other half of the people and say it's their fault. And where do we get? Well, you know, they, They're laughing behind our backs while they consolidate more power. True. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. I, I don't know what the answer is there. Partisanship is is a cancer. I think it's part partisanship, even in the Libertarian Party, is a cancer. Uh, that's why I pushed so aggressively against what I felt were very clear missteps by Joe Jorgensen's campaign. It wasn't out of hatred for her. It was out of genuine concern for the messaging and genuine concern for you know, what we stand for. And I was just trying to clarify and assist her in her path. I mean, ultimately, I'm just some troll on Twitter who gives a shit what I have to say, but if you were to listen to me, I think your campaign would have been much more successful and it was an abject failure. We had uh, you know, record-setting turnout, 40% plus more people voted in this election than we ever have before, and yet she got, I think, you know, a million and a half votes or something like that, which is significantly less, maybe even half of what Gary Johnson got and his campaign was a disaster. So I just don't know why, in hindsight in particular, some of the people like Kurt the Libertarian and other people that were, you know, hardcore ride or die for Joe Jorgensen, they aren't having a come to Jesus moment where they say, hey, maybe we should have listened to Liberty Lockdown and these other people that were saying, stop with the identity politics, stick to principles, stick to, you know, our record, 
on race relations as opposed to you know using particular language where'd you fall on that that civil war or did you even care oh i cared but i I was over it a long time ago i did vote for jorgensen but i had to go vote against all these taxes that we were getting i I was already there it would have taken me another 10 seconds to write someone else in you know my time's valuable so just (laughs) jorgensen you know yeah but yeah the, the lot of people that are ride or die for jorgensen there's people that are ride or die for Biden. There's people that are ride or die for Trump. That's the political system. And that's what we're trying to get away from. Mm-hmm. You know? how, do make, how do we make a political uh, party if we're not interested in the political system? I, I think that's always that's, been you know, the paradox that I don't have an answer to. That I, I think what this party needs is a great man. And we don't know who that man is or woman or any alpha personality who's going to be our you know, our, our Jesus Christ, our John F. Kennedy. We were mm. waiting for that personality, you know. We had Ron Paul, and he was, he was kind of like the John the Baptist in that situation. We have our Rothbard, you can call him our Moses, but we don't have our Jesus, you know. We don't have that great, great person that is going to cross over and bring millions and millions and millions of people with him. And if that person comes, they're not going to be the Joe Jorgensen type or the Gary Johnson type. They're going to be the bit pissed off, slamming my hand on the table. The government is fucking us. we got to do something about it type, you know? Yeah. We, just, we, don't, we don't have that. And the LP really doesn't have that. If we have it anywhere, it's maybe some of the Mises Caucus people or people outside of that, the LP. But we don't know who this is going to be. But that's, that's what we need because, I mean, Marxists are, are 10 to 1 against us. We're just almost inconsequential. We are inconsequential. Yeah, I think the only the only value that the LP has at this point, or the, at least the libertarian voting block, is that we're able to at least get some lip service from the main major parties, and uh, you know a modicum of of policy that hopefully you know does some benefit in the direction of freedom. But ultimately, yeah, we are toothless. I mean, we we don't have any any real control of our future other than to you know arm up and be the revolutionary wing of conservatism in, in some regard. And I don't like uh, aligning myself with the MAGA folks, but I gotta be honest, when when I look around, you know, it's it's much easier to ally myself with them than it is the Antifa black bloc crowd. It's like, there's no, <laughs> there's no hard thought when it goes into deciding which team I would pick if I had to. And I don't wanna pick, but ultimately like, if it, if it becomes an existential risk to my life, I don't understand how most libertarians don't end up doing exactly that and becoming, you know, kind of falling in as the radical wing of, of republicanism. Do you, do you think that's dumb, nonsense, practical? Where, where do you fall on that? No one could say. It's so elastic. What is, what is a Republican? What is right wing compared to what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? We need to be focused on liberty, I think. And I was, I was thinking... I mean, the LP, they're like, they're basically like the band camp, right? They're, they're just, they're just milk toast. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I remember when we were having the election for the LP candidate, and I was kind of arguing, pushing back against the McAfee people. That was like a couple of days after he did his fisting video and everything. So it was just like this, you know, this guy is not, but now, now after the election, I'm looking back on it. And if we had a candidate like McAfee, you wouldn't have won. But think about the the impression he would have made. Think about the perspective he had. Think about the the energy, the charisma that he had. He would have brought. He would have. He would have made people open their eyes. Yep. You know, and that's all not, I ask. That's all I ask for. 
Yeah, he's not like a like a joke, like Vermin Supreme. He's like an eloquent, and no offense to Vermin lovers, you know. Yeah. I like Vermin But McAfee knows how to speak, and he, he knows how to get angry. Yep. I, I think that's the biggest thing that we lack, and I know that sounds crazy, uh, but I think you're exactly right. I think that we lack a firebrand. We lack a guy who encapsulates the emotion of the moment that understands the anger and understands the existential risk that we are experiencing when it comes to the loss of our freedoms. That is what I'm looking for in the, you know, leader of the LP. And that's what I would like to see. And I'm tempted to get involved with the Mises caucus and things like that is particularly if the Dave Smith's, Eric July's Tom Woods of the world uh, actually do what they plan to, or say they're going, going to do. I think that's really the only hope for the LP as a movement itself. If they fail in that attempt, I think that it just, I go full collapsitarian and I move to the woods. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's closer than you think. I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Mises caucus and, and the beltways fighting over 1%. I mean, is that the, is that the fight that we're really in right now? It's, it's embarrassing, truly. Yeah, so so you're right. We need some we need someone with some uh, charisma, some spirit, and it's not that hard, really. Trump Trump did it. I mean, how many people are disenfranchised? How many people are pissed off at our government right now? How many people know about the global corporations, about about the scams, about the socialism, the Marxism, Marxism, and they're pissed off at it? And then we got an LP candidate that comes out and just is like blah blah blah, Black Lives Matter, right? So <laughs> it's not that hard. It's, it, we could get. 20 30 million if somebody's just just mainlines that dissatisfaction that americans have with our current government and most americans are dissatisfied right now even the left you know yeah. you got got the establishment left they're like the only ones that are happy even the 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 radical left they they're just as done with the system as we are you know yeah the radical left is furious i mean i saw signs uh, being held up by antifa on election night that said death to fascism and death to the liberalism that enables it. And I was like, wow, these people are as radical as me, but on the other side, you know, like they are ready for war and that's scary. Um, first and foremost, let me say that it's scary, but in some ways it's also a good sign that so much of this country is awake to the corruption that we're experiencing. Unfortunately, much of this country is completely asleep as to the true culprit and they don't understand that government is not going to be the answer to what ails them. In fact, it is the, you know, basically the pinnacle of what they're upset about. And I don't know how to convey that message to those people because they, they automatically categorize anyone that looks like me as a white supremacist. Um, but ultimately the leader of the LP movement needs to be capable of relaying that message and conveying it in a convincing fashion that, speaks to their heart, speaks to their anguish, kind of convinces them that maybe their, their solutions have been misplaced, that they've, they've been lied to. And if you can do that, I agree with you. I think you could get someone who's a really charismatic leader that gets 20 or 30 million votes and creates a, a truly viable third party option. I just don't know. I just don't know who that person is. Do, do you think that we know that person at this point or is it someone that's not even out there? I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I think there's a lot of other things that, that need to happen first. I yeah. Think. We got to have full on bread lines and shit, right? Yeah. Well, on our side too, we got to have some unity. Um, 
and and we need well let's be honest we need better salespeople, man everything in life is sales the the democrat they're professional salesmen the republicans they're they're tom Selleck selling you reverse mortgages on fox news you know they're they're salespeople. you know our salespeople. We're like, we're like the, the guy at the kiosk at the mall trying to sell you a phone, even though you already have a phone, shoving a, a new phone in your face, talking about all the features. We're just kind of like, that's where that autistic screeching name comes through. That's, we, we don't seem to understand that, you know? And, and if you're gonna persuade people, first of all, maybe not talk about being libertarian, I hate to say it, maybe not use that word, use something else. And sure. you have to have some empathy. You're gonna have to empathize with the status. You can't persuade people if you can't put yourself in their shoes and then see where their pain points are and expose those pain points and start discussing alternatives. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's really the, the origin of a populist. You know, a, a populist is someone who's able to tap into what actually ails the, the people in a country. And I think that in that regard, that's why Trump was so successful. He was able to, you know, identify the fact that people could sense that their quality of life and their quality of living was decreasing. And while you and I may have a different thesis as to why, you know, being uh, globalization, outsourcing, uh, Federal Reserve, depreciating, depreciating value of your currency, his, his answer was simple and it was direct. And it's that, you know, your jobs have been outsourced to China. China is fucking us up and I'm going to be the guy that fixes it. And that's a compelling argument. And I, I feel like while libertarians are correct in their assessment of things, they don't do a great job at distilling it down in a way that's palatable to the average man. And I think that we need someone who's really gifted in that to get it across. Because like when I, when I talk to people who are friends of mine that are status aligned, um, it's, very, it's very easy for me to, to talk to them about libertarian ideology and convey it in a way that makes sense and isn't scary. It's just like online though, man, people, people just are vicious to anybody who's a status and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I think it's, it's largely that I'm just at my wits end. I'm at, at the end of my rope here and it's just like, I don't have patience for these people anymore. Um, so I think that in a political campaign though, someone like me or anybody else out there that, that is able to sell the ideology could, could convey it in a way that is sympathetic and is basically kind, you know, like just have patience with people as they evolve. It's, it's absurd to think that everyone is going to go from, you know, 20 years of public schooling and indoctrination from the media and everything else. And you're just going to have like in two months of a political campaign, you're going to convince people that Rothbard was right. Like you need to take it a little bit slower. Absolutely. Rothbard said our agent for change is education, right? We have to change people's minds over the long term. And really, when you're, when you're talking to status, you, you want to attack their foundations because they have faulty foundations and everything that's built on that foundation is supported by that foundation. Mm -hmm. Marxists especially, they, they have this foundation of, of proletarian bourgeoisie, the you know, polylogisms that people are different. Um, status have this, this foundation that you can trust the government. You, you attack the foundation, but you have to do it empathetically. Because I believe... And I don't know if you've always been libertarian. I've always been anti-authoritarian, but I haven't always been libertarian. Mm -hmm. But there's one thing inside every person that's libertarian. They just don't know it. There's I agree. One, I agree. There's one thing. And if, you, if you're a salesperson, if you, if you work with people, 
you know, doing consultative sales, you know that when you're selling something, you're looking for that one pain point by asking questions, you know, and when you expose that, then, then you amplify it, build upon it, get the pain bigger. And then only then you can start talking about solutions. And when I mean talking about solutions, I mean, you let them talk about solutions and you just kind of guide them, you know, right. and there's nothing, there's nothing shady about that. You know, therapists use the exact same method. It's, it's about getting to the truth. And it's very hard for people to get, get to the truth these days. There's bombarded by so much information that they have no choice but to filter and they're going to filter in their own favor and their own biases. How can they not? I mean, there's, there's no way to avoid that. I think that's a great point. And um, as, as just going back for a second to your other point about attacking their foundations, I think that you have to realize that when you attack someone's foundations by its very nature, you're going to throw them off balance. You know, people have been standing on these pillars of salt for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And then you just knock, you know, you knock a corner off the stool or something. And then you go like, Hey, vote for me. And they're just like, wait, I'm trying to pick myself up off the ground or keep myself from falling down. Like you have to have uh, sympathy or empathy for these people. Cause it's, you really are attacking and in some ways the core of their being. And uh, I agree, like you can, you can allow them to find the answers. I think oftentimes that's a much more convincing way of, of handling things too, because if you, if you tell someone something that's totally foreign to them, they're going to discard it. Whereas if you ask them leading questions that are basically like, do you support the war in Iraq? You know, like ask them that and then kind of lead that into anti-interventionism and not trusting the government's propaganda to get us into the next war. Like just allow people, like trust in people's logic a little bit. I mean, granted, people aren't as logical as libertarians. That's a given. But I think many people have the capacity for it if you if you show them patience. So I think those are all really good tips to, to get us on the right path in terms of communicating with our friends and family, at least. Absolutely. And it, and it, it, it might not happen with your conversation, but you put it out there and it's going to come up again with another conversation where they're going to see something over the next few years. They're going to start seeing things. You know what I mean? But you put that seed there and they're going to apply that to what they don't even realize that they're subconsciously thinking. They're going to start seeing things from a different angle and hopefully they can get to the truth that way. Yep. I, I have a dozen friends in my life that started out hard status and literally without me even really trying, if I'm being honest, I just planted seeds because I have the ideology like in my soul. So any topic that comes up and they ask me about it, I just naturally tell them what I think. And then they go, Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. And then five, six, 10 years down the line, they start coming to me with libertarian ideology. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is, this is happening. Like it, it really is a slow process, but it's, it's pervasive. Like once it gets in someone, it's really hard to stop. And I think that's kind of the concept of the red pill is like, once you take it, there's no turning back. And, you know, if you aggressively red pill someone, they might reject it entirely. But if you just kind of let them take it on their own accord, it, it has a lasting impact that kind of changes them for the rest of their lives. Uh, out of curiosity, what was your, your inception into this ideology, seeing as you said you were anti-authoritarian? Were you from the punk scene or where'd you come from? It's, you know, it's complicated. It's always been there. I was, the, I was a 10-year-old kid that was arguing with my teachers because sometimes they're full of shit, you know? So that, that aspect was always there. 
my late teens, I got into like a really rough crowd. You know, I was, I was doing bad stuff. So I had a lot of interactions with the police and I started seeing things about the police. And then really, I started my, really, I started from that angle, police, the police, cop block, stuff like that. 15 years ago, free thought project and uh, free man beyond the wall. That was like when I really got into the philosophy part of it. But as far as being, how'd you find, how'd you find Quinones out of curiosity? Do you remember? Well, back, back that, back then I was on Facebook. So I was, I guess you can call a lurker because all my friends and family are on Facebook and I live in Los Angeles, you know, but before that 203, uh, 2003 was big. 2003 was huge because in 2002, I told myself George Bush isn't, isn't going to go to war with Iraq over 911, right? That's not going to happen, right? <laughs> and then he went to war with Iraq and then everybody, nobody, you know, Congress was like, yeah, you know, like nobody said anything. I'm what the fuck? I, I was so pissed. I voted for John Kerry in 2004. I didn't realize what a you know, globalist piece of shit he was back then. <laughs> I was so pissed at, at Bush. I voted for Kerry. And, and from then on, I, I said, I, you know what? I cannot trust a single thing that either of these people say. And, yeah. and from now on, I'm going to start doing my own research. And the more I did research at antiwar.com, you know, Lou Rockwell, it just, it became clear. And now I watch, I watch CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, but I watch them just to hear what the propaganda of the day is. It just... Me too. Yeah. I, I, I've been watching nonstop MSNBC and Fox News back and forth over the past 48 hours, just trying to understand the narrative as it un unfurls. And it's relatively similar, which is what I've found interesting is that, you know, Fox News is no longer Trump central. Like they, they're either hedging their bets that he's going to lose or perhaps the advertising pressure has gotten to them and they've decided that they're going to be less of a, less of a Trumpist organization. Um, but I, I totally agree with you. And, and I, I find it interesting that like every libertarian that I know that started relatively young comes from a really anti-authoritarian place. There's just a, there's a, a fire within us that, that wants to tell cops and teachers to fucking shove it. And I love that about libertarians. I think that's, what's great. I think it's also what makes it so hard to have a, uh, a unified movement is that we don't want leaders. You know, we want to be the, the Kings of our own castle, so to speak. And, I don't know how you, I don't know, congeal us, us this herd of cats into a, a real meaningful political movement. And given that the government isn't going away without our, you know, pushback, I don't know how we kind of get that pushback to, to go in the right direction if we aren't willing to, to align with each other. Do you have any ideas on that? I mean, I, I know this is kind of an sure, yeah. ANCAP versus minarchist argument, but uh, I'm curious where you fall and what well, I mean, areas you have. When you were talking about herding cats, the first thing that came to my head is, and you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan, but I, I thought about Jordan Peterson. Why does he have so many followers? Mm. He told them, clean your room. He told them, be a man, right? right? So sometimes we have to be confronted with truth. You know what I mean? Sometimes we have to be given agency, accountability. That's what we we yearn for you know that's what's missing in our in the feminization of america as you might say today yeah. i think so, i think he he hit it out of the park with that but i think the the most overlooked aspect aspect of his success other than the fact that he he uses parables and he uses you know metaphors to convey really tough topics into relatively simple palatable ones is also that um 
basically he gives a road to redemption. You know, like he, he is not damning you the way libertarians often do, like, like we do with status. And I think that that's, and that's also what people are so upset with about cancel culture is that there is no road to redemption. It's just like, it's a religious cult and you're excommunicated and that's as simple as it gets. And I think that, that Peterson does a phenomenal job of just saying like, I have sympathy for everything you've experienced, but at this point, it's up to you to fix it. And here's the tools. And, and if you do these things, your life will be better and you can be the hero of your own story. Like it's a, it's a really fairly simple, fairly, you know, common historical uh, philosophical principle, but it's really important. It's something we lack in this country for whatever reason. Yeah. And, and he's, his politics are, I mean, yes, he's, he generalizes greatly when it comes to politics. I'm yeah. not with him politically. And listen to a number of his lectures. They end up all sounding the same. But he touched the nerve. That's, that's what we need to be looking at. Not what he's saying, but how he's saying it, who he's saying it to. That's, that's the type of thing that, that people react to. And may, it may be, you know, this is the worst thing to say in the world, but maybe we need our own useful ideas. You know, I mean, <laughs> not everybody thinks critically, right? Yeah. In fact, most people don't, you know. So we don't have to be liars about it like like some factions are. But sometimes we just need to, to you know, herd the sheep. I think that's, what, you're not going to win. What would be your siren call for the, for the sheep to, to head in the direction of freedom? I, I thought that the lockdowns would have kind of opened that much. Just not, that last sentence sounds so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, to shepherd the sheep to individual liberty. Yeah, that's... That's our that's our dilemma right there, right? I mean, yeah. we're not sheep, you know. No, I know, but that's why I'm saying, like, obviously, you're not gonna you're not gonna get everyone to read Rothbard. Like, it's just it's simply not gonna happen. So, how do you instill a drive towards freedom without expecting people to do the work? Because they're not gonna do the work. So, like, we have to inspire them, and we have to have a messenger that just says, like. I don't know, they like a, a Braveheart type moment where they just scream freedom and everyone gets behind them and charges, you know, like I, <laughs> I that's the only thing I can think of really. Have you, have, do you listen to Dan Carlin at all? Hardcore history? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. So, you know, he talks about do the moments make the man or does the man make the moment? Mm-hmm. But we're approaching the moment. Now, are we going to have a man take it forward or is the moment going to create the man? Either way, it's, it's, it's got to happen eventually. Because these people who have consolidated power, they squeeze harder and harder. And when they squeeze harder and harder, it, it slips through their fingers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And unlike wealth, which is created, power is a fixed pie. And the more that power gets concentrated, the more they're, they're the more they're going to have a reaction. They're never going to get to that 1984 point. I'm sorry. They're not going to get to that point where everybody's just in complete control. In fact, the closer they get to it, the more they're going to have to deal with, with the repercussions. And, I, and what we're doing now... I am that cyclical. repercussion. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> and what we're doing now is cyclical. It, it always happens this way. I mean, if you read your history, we, we go through these times of control, then times of revolution. And then we go through these nice times like we've had for 50 years where it's just wealth building. Right. And then, well, and then it, wealth building <laughs> largely created off of fiat uh, currency, but I, I get your point. Right, right. That's the best we have. 
right? But at least I believe that we had economists and some politicians in the 50s, 60s, 70s who were acting on good faith. Oh, yeah. Something I have, I have no doubt right now that they're they're not acting on good faith anywhere. I don't even I don't even think Trump might be acting on good faith. No, I, I don't think he is. I mean, he's he's largely driven by his ego in my in my estimation. I, I personally kind of like the Ayn Rand outlook. Like, I would almost prefer someone a leader if I know that the all the leadership options are corrupt. I would almost prefer it be someone who's an egoist than just a corrupt scumbag like Joe Biden. I think that's like, that's why most right-leaning libertarians fell in line with going like, well, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but I would prefer to see him over Biden unless you're a total collapsitarian. Um, It's just that, you know, I trust someone's own desire to be a hero just for their own ego way more than I do someone who wants to, you know, put me in a concentration camp or something like I obviously Biden's not going to be president in four years. It's going to be Kamala almost certainly, but um, that's horrifying. That's a horrifying proposition. And I, I just think that, that anyone that, that thinks that, you know, Oh, and, and caps in particular, just like, ah, oh, fuck voting. I don't give a fuck. I'm like, well, you don't have to, but you should, you should at least acknowledge that ultimately this is coming to our doorstep. Like we're not going to avoid this day of reckoning because we've withdrawn from the system. Like, it's just not going to happen that way. So basically, if you're not going to vote, which I'm totally in support of not voting, then you have to be a revolutionary. Like, what other option is there? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what's the, whatever the revolution is going to look like, it's not what we can predict. That's it true. Never has been, you know, it's almost it's almost like if, if, if we were going that direction, which I'm not saying I am, I'm more like a Rothbardian education incrementalism, which is hopeless in its own way but but whatever i think if we're going to look at someone to for a roadmap we're going to have to look at, at the marxists we're going to have to look at the antifa what they have done has been genius i know the ones that we see on tv they're a bunch of idiots but you know since the 60s they've had academia they've had teachers i'm sure teachers how many teachers have pulled students to this to the side and said okay you're going to go work for Google. Here's what I want you to do. Here's <laughs> how I want you to affect change. Oh, dude. They don't even have to bring them aside and tell them. And it's just, okay. it's built into the education itself. They're, they're constantly telling them how, how heroic any effort is to, to basically, you know, give more power to the government and undermine existing power structures. And to some extent, I, I, I actually, let me just back up. Let me just start by saying, I totally agree with you. I think that, that in terms of, practical successes to be found with the libertarian philosophy. We have to, we have to weaponize it in a way that the Marxists have done far more successfully than we have. And I hate that because I don't, I don't like playing dirty and that's what they do. I mean, they play dirty. They, they get to your kids, they indoctrinate your children and then they fucking kill people. Like I I don't want to, I don't want to go down that path entirely but I think it's completely foolish to discount those tactics and to pretend that you're going to have any chance of success. Like you have to indoctrinate the next generation of kids towards freedom or we have no chance at all. I mean, I I really think that like, if we don't, if we don't break the public school system monopoly and, and start to homeschool children or private school or whatever option you have, Ron Paul homeschool sponsor me, please. Um, you know, I just don't think that we're going to have any chance of, of, of a meaningfully 
large uh, drive towards freedom of the next generation. Yeah, and you got to be low key to do that. I mean, they're they're okay with it because obviously they're okay with deception, and and that's the difference. Is that I think that we have truth on our side, and when you have truth on your side, there's some drawbacks to that. When you have truth on your on your side, you don't lie because if you lie, you you know your you lose, truth. You lose what makes you you. Right, and you lose credibility on your truth by lying. So yep. when, you have, when you're all lies, and there's no holds barred, you know whatever you can do. But I'd love to see, like, I'd love to imagine that there is a Keynesian economics professor out there. And then after class, he pulls kids aside and says, okay, here's why Rothbard was right. You know, I mean, oh, I, That'd be amazing. I'd love to imagine that, that, that some of that is going on out there. And hopefully it is. I mean, I know how, how they think about Austro-Libertarians, uh, Austrian economics. It's a joke. It's, it's a big joke. I got, a, I got a brother with a master's degree in economics. He's like, you know, we never even touched on Austrian economics. It's just kind of this big joke, you know? <laughs> so, like, we have to be subversive. We have to make people think. We have to mix things up and, and give it to the Marxists, man. They know how to do that. I think and then, I, I'll go, keep going. Well, I'm going to say, and they know how to use the young people because 19-year-olds, there's no offense to anybody listening, but they're dumbish, dumb as shit and... They, they're ready to commit violence like that. Yep. That's, that's like, uh, my situation was different. I was into gangbanging. It was the same thing. My OG told me to do something, I'd do it. Right. You know, I didn't think about it. I, I was afraid he'd call me a pussy. Right. And that's, that's kind of what they're looking at. They're, yeah, we, they're, they're the professors and they're the peewees putting in work. And there's no, there's no critical thinking. There. There's just yeah. yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great comparison. Um, I, I want to give props to, I think it's go fuck yourself industries or whatever his handle is. He's the, uh, the third guy of the, the fad cast crew. And, yeah. and he, he's been the one running hard in this direction of basically taking on Marxist, uh, tactics. And I think he's totally right. And I, I, Genius. I yeah, it is. I've, I've come along kicking and screaming because I very much dislike, and it gives me just great distaste in my mouth, <laughs> even pretending that I'm going to start to utilize some of their tactics, but I think he's right. I really do. And, um, that's, that's a hard, hard, bitter, bitter pill to swallow. But like, if I care about the future, I think ultimately I have to, and, and ultimately there's also multiple paths that we can take. Cause like he can go that route. Many of us can go that route. And then others can, can be truth tellers still on the internet. And that's, that, that is what gives me the most hope is that as the cathedral battens down the hatches and they just make the, the, uh, the bubble with wit within or with which in which within these kids exist, um, they make it just airtight that these kids are going to be clamoring for any breath of fresh air. And I think that's what has led people to, uh, Ben Shapiro and Dave Smith and these like compelling internet figures that, that say what's not allowed to be said. And I think that if we get more and more of the libertarians out there that can grow an audience and have the message spread in that way, like libertarianism in a, in a, in a big way is punk rock right now. Like it, it is totally out of the popular. Yeah. Vote. But the punk rockers are voting for Biden right now. So I, we're the they, new aren't, punk rock. they aren't though. Cause they're, they're not punk rock. That's my point is like, <laughs> I, I agree with you. They would classify themselves that way, but 
ultimately, like if you are anti-establishment, you can't vote for the <laughs> the author of the 1994 crime bill. Like you just can't do that. And and they did it. I, I grant you that. Like they're the people that think they're punk rock are still doing that. The people that are punk rock, though, in the Democratic Party, I think at some point will open their eyes. And I'm sure some already are. Like we we tend to uh, put these people into just you know monolithic positions where they they have no differentiation of thought. Like there are definitely people that are in Antifa today that will be ANCAPs in two years. Like I believe yeah. that. So yeah. I'm not giving up on any of these people. I, I will say this. As of today, they are my mortal enemy. But if they have an awakening where they realize that they, while they were right, that they were being oppressed, they were wrong about who was doing it, they will be my ally immediately. Like that is the path to redemption that I, that I offer to any of those people out there that want me dead today because I'm, you know, the head of the patriarchy and white supremacy or whatever the fuck you think about me. If you ultimately come to Jesus and you realize that the government is actually our mutual enemy, then you're my ally. So I hope that, that, this this message on both fronts we can use it both with the marxist tactics of you know getting our kids out of public schools educating the next generation but then simultaneously um you know anyways you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and you know their antifa right now is what i'd call a nuisance they're they're scary because of what they could become not because of what they are you know how to if you can defend yourself if you stay away from the right areas whatever but if they become institutionalized, that's, that's the fear. If, if they become the true institutionalized use, the brown shirts. Yep. You know, if they get political power, they are a real right. danger. Right. You think about the Antifa, you know, a lot of Antifa were uh, in, World War II, in World War II on the Eastern Front, 1942, 1943. The uh, Russians would capture large swaths of German, Romanian, Hungarian soldiers put them in camps and then brainwash them and then release them as Antifa behind enemy lines. You know, I, I just read that the other day from my uh, Anthony Beaver book. I thought it was really interesting that um, it all goes back to that. And this whole, this whole fight goes back to, to, to that conflict that happened 80 years ago. And these, these Antifa people think that Nazis were defeated few of them survived and then they reproduced or something. And, and now the fascists are, are everywhere among us, like pod people are, I mean, <laughs> I don't think they know anything about World War II history is what I'm saying. And, and, and the idea- <laughs> yeah, I agree, dude. I don't think they know anything about history, period. Yeah, yeah definitely period. That, that arena. And but... the idea of using Marxism, well, Marxism works. It works for the first half, it works for the revolution side of, of changing things. And you use Marxism to, you, to create the revolution, to overthrow the status quo, and then you do whatever you want. You'd be a Stalinist. You'd be a Maoist, farmers, you know, whatever, little red book. You know, you, you'd be a Venezuelan, whatever. The Marxism is really not about governing. It's about what happens before you take the power. That's it's, what Marxism is. It's about revolution. Exactly, exactly. And once, and once the revolution is over, you end up with a despot, you know? Yeah, yep. that's why the, any any left-wing, um, left-leaning, quote-unquote, ANCAP, I, I get a kick out of because it's like they always think that that's going to be the path. You know, we're going we're gonna to use Marxist tactics to get rid of the government, and then we're just not going to have one. And it's like, but then you, you don't believe in private property. So you have to have a government that prevents that. 
and <laughs> like oh, there's a, an immediate paradox which makes you my mortal enemy and it's just i can't get across to these people that you you will create death and destruction with your ideology it, no matter how similar we we view the issue like ultimately if you don't believe in private property we're we're i'm going to be at odds with you for the rest of my life and I, it's just it's so heartbreaking that people can be so close to the truth and i'm sure they feel the same way about me in fact i know they do they feel the exact same way. They go, oh, well, private property is fucking slavery. It's like, how do you, have you ever gotten across to any of those people no. and like actually changed their heart on yeah, that? Because I, I haven't. It's not about getting across to them now. It's about getting something planted for later. Sure. You know what I mean? So like we were talking before about sales techniques, you know, where did the landlord hurt you? You know, like questions like that. <laughs> so like, 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 just talk to me about it. Why this? Why that? You know, give me examples. You give me six examples and I'm going to say, okay, so now or every single one of those because of the white patriarchy or because landlords are evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Can you think of any of those situations where the, the person was actually a nice person? Oh, yeah. You know, you start, you start cutting in to the reality and, and, and opening doors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you got, you got to have some empathy because if, you're, if you've never owned a home, and if, if apartments cost twice as much, now we all know the reasons for that, but they don't. But if apartments are, are costing more than 80% of your income, you're going to hate landlords. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I think, I think that's, I, I had a Halloween party this past weekend and I had Travis from Twitter over here and uh, met him for the first time. We talked for like three hours in the middle of the night. And I kept going back to the, to the fact that like, well, I believe libertarians have the right answer. It is so complicated to convey it. Like you're, you're starting from scratch with most people. They don't understand the federal reserve. They don't understand fiat currency. They don't understand debt cycles. We shouldn't even be going there. We should be attacking the foundation. That's it. Attack attack the foundations and wait a couple of years for for everything else to fall down around that when you're dealing with someone. I think that's, that's a good tactic because I I always try and because I do have all the answers, you know, like I really, I really can from its, from its origin, to the very end, I can tell you exactly why you're wrong about landlords needing to be put up against a wall. But I don't, mm-hmm. you don't have time and I don't have time to tell each and every one of you out there all right. the reasons why that's evil. Um, so I guess it's like, dude, what do you say? You just go, well, it's evil to kill someone who's a, a, an innocent. No, no, person. no, you have to be empathetic. Okay. So like in sales, in sales, we call it benefit dumping. What libertarians do a lot of is benefit dumping. Here's why libertarian is great, blah, 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 okay. Here's why this this Mercedes that you're on the car lot is great. Here's the engine. Here's here here's this. Here's that. Here's that. Da 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 da. Right. Mm-hmm. The person the person that walked onto the lot. They wanted a blue car. And you're dumping. That's what we call explicit needs. And you're dumping things one after another after another after another. When you could have just asked them, what do you want? Got you. So like wanna- so like you say. Well, would you would you like to own your own house? You know, like I can tell exactly. you how to do that. That well, no, there's no such thing as private property. So even that. So you'll, you would you like to own your own house? Well, private property property is theft. All right. Would and you you're... like to be out from under the oppressive nature of a? No, no, no. no. Be like, <laughs> you like, do you own any private? Oh, do you own any private? You don't want to be like opposing it all. See, like you don't want to come with an opposing viewpoint. No, I know. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, would you like to be out from under the oppressive thumb of the landlord? Like, is that, would that be a, a leading mm-hmm. question that you would use? Or is that still too? I would be a late, maybe a late stage, but now you just want to be like, have you ever owned private property? You're, you're exploring. 
know. Okay. So but, have you but, have you owned but, a car before? Yeah, I got you. Uh, a car, but, you know, and start asking them, do you have payments on those cars, on that car? You know, start, start. Because what you're doing is not, like, we're not twisting someone's arm. We're not, we're not, like, uh, tricking. Like, in, good salespeople don't trick people. They get to the truth. And that's what, what we're doing. We're asking questions so we have a full picture of what's going on in their mind. And once we have that full picture, we're going to look for that little splint of pain, that little splint of cancer, and we're going to, we're going to build that up. We're going to make it bigger. We're going to make it bigger and bigger by, by when you find that pain, you're going, to, you're going to inflate that pain by using negative reversers, by saying, oh, but that doesn't bother you too much, does it? Or it's not really that bad, is it? So you, you, you come at people that way, they want to reject that and say, no, it is bad. Now you're building their pain points. And when you build the pain points, you can ask a few more questions where they can almost see the solution. And you don't give them the solution. Just let them talk. And you see your opening, boom. But you're, we're not twisting anyone's arm. This is, this is all about truth. This yep. is like, like sales and therapy are very, very similar. You're looking for that, you know, those, those alpha waves. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's, that's really profound, actually. I, I got my start as a salesman. So I, I think that's probably why you and I have clicked online so much because we probably view these issues the same way. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's a great point. And I think that if we can, I, I basically like my issue is that when it, when it comes to talking to someone who's a liberal or a conservative, I can do that. Like I can find, I, I understand their outlook and I guess I don't have to be so empathetic because I can, I already know what they are thinking with Marxists. They're so foreign to me. It's really hard for me to put myself in their shoes and then try and sell the product. So yeah. I need to be, I need to be more patient. I guess I'm saying well, I've, and, got, I've got Marxists in LA that I've been working on for years. And they're, they're moving. They're moving. Right. Good, good. May good. Only be, there may only be two or three of them, but they're moving because I question their reality without, without talking down to them. Right. They're all kids. Right. They're all young, you know, there's the, the Marxists that are our age or my age, I'm, I'm a bit older than you, are the, you know, the weatherman, the, the college professor who, who wants to, you know, convince someone that violence is the answer and build bombs. So they're all young, you know, how, I think how, at the top did, there's, how, there's very few. How did they, how did they get that ideology? Just out of curiosity, do you know? Yeah, they, a lot, there's a lot of Twitch, you know what Twitch is? Yeah. Like a. Yeah. There's a lot of Twitch like streamers on politics. They're all Marxists. For Most real? Yeah, a lot of them are. They don't say they are. They talk. Wow. There's a lot of Bernie Bros in that community, you know. And and the ones that I know came through it through that. So these are the people that are, they're like church, but they're like Bernie Church. Dude, the conservatives were right. The video games are ruining our kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we got Eric July's got Twitch, right? That's true. And he's, and he's really so, popular. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> that's wild. I, I really didn't know. I, I, you know, I play video games, but I've never fucked with Twitch because I've always been the type that wants to play them and not watch people play them. So I, I'm, I'm old school like that. I, are you older than me? I'm 38. Oh yeah. Oh, you're 38. Yeah. I thought you were like, 20, I thought you were like 26, man. Oh, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm in my forties. I'm in my early forties, but I'm okay. young for it. I mean, I'm young for my, say i feel you so born in like what 78 76 okay 
All right, FBI. <laughs> Sorry. I'll cut that out if you want me to. <laughs> I'm, I'm born 82, so like yeah, you just, got my birthday, you got my voice pranks. So cool. <laughs> oh yeah, that that'll really <laughs> that'll tell me everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I once dated a girl who was born in 82. She was hey. That'd be the oldest chick I ever dated. <laughs> what? Well, I was only I was only like what was I? I was 31 and she was 20. How, how'd you she... get in, how'd you get into gangbanging? Just looking for it just happened. It just happened. So like LA, this is LA early 90s. So that should tell you something about that. There was kind of what was happening, and I grew up in an Asian neighborhood. All my friends were Asian. And did you, did well, you loot 94? No, but or 93 bought, was it? I don't know. I, I bought from the looters, but I didn't loot <laughs> myself. It was a dumb, it was, you know, we had back then, I think we had like 80,000 gangbangers. Everybody knew everybody. You know, I, I knew eight people that got killed in like a year and a half. They just dropped just like that. So I, I, I got smart. By the time I was 18, I was out of it. You know, wow. I had to kind of separate from a few things, but we had a lot of run ins with cops back then. And basically, a run-in with a cop, if you're a gangbanger, man, you're just you know, get your ass beat. That's it, you know? I've got a lot of this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said, and we all had guns, too. That's another thing. Well, that, that's the thing that I've always found interesting. And I, I really find common ground with, you know, either active or former gangbangers. It's like, they hate the cops. They're armed to the teeth. They deal drugs. Like, these people understand the black market they understand like the oppressive nature of regulation and law it's like have you ever thought about doing an outreach program to, to well, people there's, like that there's one thing that they'll never understand and that's the not that's not non-aggression principle you know ah uh, good point and we don't have to, we don't have the gang problem that we used to have I mean, it's just not the way it used to be and it used to be in la was divided up block by block Oh yeah, no, I, I know it's no longer anywhere near like like it was when we yeah. were kids. I mean, it still is in certain neighborhoods if you go to like South Central or parts of maybe parts of Silmar, East LA, San Fernando. Right. But for the most part, most part, like a lot of things, we've just moved on. You know what I mean? I think. I don't know. I'm not I'm not on the streets, so I don't know. You know, Do I just know that go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, other than the the Bloods and Crips kind of having their peace treaty after after the riots and and a bunch of murders, uh -huh. um, uh -huh. do you think that there was anything that the government did to actually stop that process? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. No, I don't think so. But there's some something else that if you talk to any LA gangbanger between like 1993 and 1996 or 92 and 96, they'll tell you about the train yards. You know what I'm talking about? The train yards. I don't. Okay. I don't know what I don't know where to go with this, but but basically, military trains would stop and right there in South Central, leave the gates unlocked, leave the doors open, and there's people like everybody had like hand grenades, you know, heavy machine guns, you know, and they would do this like once a month, and all that stuff was going for sale on the streets, and everybody knew it. It was common knowledge. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean I've seen the hand grenades. You know, so like, where'd you get the hand grenades? You know. And that's CIA right there. It has to be, right? You would think. Yeah, but I don't know. As, as a gun enthusiast, I don't know. I mean, is that good? Is that, I, like, I don't know what to say, but all I know is that the government's fucking with people. That's all I know. Yeah, they were fueling it for sure. So do you think that the, the gangs just killed themselves out of it, kind of? I, 
I don't know. I think they all just went on Twitter and started playing video games. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not like it used to be. Gangbanging now is kind of just whatever. It's just not. It's not something you really have to be scared of. It's not like back then where where you could get shot if you look at someone for more right. than two seconds. Oh, more than two sure. seconds. You know what I mean? So another another on Twitch playing Call of Duty saying you got Merc blood. <laughs> right, right. They're talking shit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> which is which is good. I mean, gangs are they're stupid. It was a stupid, stupid thing. I'm glad I'm glad I was only in it partially. I'm glad I got out of it as soon as I, I did because a lot of my friends didn't, you know? No, for sure, man. Uh I think it's it's funny that we kind of started and ended with Jordan Peterson. Like the, the, the lack of father figures. Did, was your dad in your life? I know you don't have to answer if you think it's going to be some fed shit. <laughs> no, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still in touch with my dad, but I didn't, I didn't grow up with him. Okay. Do you think that that, I, I mean, that's always kind of my belief is that. Yeah. I, what's that? I think, I think while I, I love and respect my dad, he wasn't there during those years when somebody had to teach me how to be a man. Right ones up teaching me it's you know mr og you know what i mean yeah no I, I think that that's it's funny because like as the government becomes more and more parental in nature the 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 home itself the father in particular mm -hmm. becomes more and more expendable and i think that we learn quickly that ultimately the, the father figure in a child's life is never expendable and if there isn't a community like say that say your dad was there but he died and you had no other resource. You have the government who's just giving some money to your mom. And then you have a community that doesn't have any resources for you. It's like, basically you have the church or you have gangs and people kind of pick which direction to go. And there's a lot more money on the gang side. So oftentimes people go there. It's just, it's just tough. It's just sad. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's, it seems to be dying down. And I think you're probably right that it yeah. does, it does have a lot to do with the internet, but it's just interesting that given all the social unrest we're experiencing, there hasn't been a big surge in, in gangbanging. Yeah, there is a big surge in gangbanging. They, oh, there they is. Call them, they're called Antifa. Oh, <laughs> they got point. their OGs. They got, they're ready to commit violence, you know, but even worse than gangs is they're given permission to commit violence and they're being told that they're righteous. Yes. So that's like taking yeah. gangs to an even more dangerous level. So like I'm saying, if they get institutionalized, now we have some serious problems. You know? Yeah. Well, that, that's the fundamental reason I am so horrified at not just Marxism, but Antifa black block type folks is because they are convinced that just by my very existence, I am, I am deserving of death. And that is, yeah. I mean, that is right up there with Hitler ideology, like, except yeah. it's no longer the Jews. Now it's just straight white men. And, you know, while I don't fear them because I'm not a pussy, I, yeah. I am, I am very concerned about, you know, just the, the institutionalization of that ideology that leads to some really horrific things. And I don't think people understand, you know, or just maybe they, they do understand the history, but they just don't think we're going to get there. I just think you're wrong. I think that if if you don't fight this early and often, you will have genuine atrocities that occur under the guise of, you know, being the most moral woke warrior. And I think that's super yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And if you live in a big city, so you're around these people, this is where we get back to empathy. You got to talk to them. That's it.
you got to talk to him without don't bring up libertarianism <laughs> bring up trump or biden you just got to talk to him see see what's going on maybe one day they'll they'll say you know i'm not gonna no i'm not i'm, I'm not gonna go shoot this guy because my friend was aligned with this guy that i talked to a couple of years ago and he wasn't such a bad guy you know mm-hmm. so you gotta you just gotta be that with your kids man. and that's and that's the thing there's people are so ready to be violent against it and i get it trust me i get it people want to you know be violent against antifa but when i see them march and i see their faces i see, i just see kids i just see you know i know their leaders aren't kids but i see my son you know my teenage son i, I just I think there's other ways that we can get to these people. I just, I just, again, awesome. I'm not that, I'm not that great leader. I'm not the one that knows how to do it, but I just know it can be done. Well, you may not be the guy who does it, but I think you got a lot of ideas that will help whoever it becomes. Because um, maintaining empathy for your enemy uh, until they become an ally, I think, is really good. Because unless you believe in true, you know, war to the last, to the last soldier, like what other option is there? Like, I, I don't want to go that path. I don't want to go the path of genocide and, and trying to expunge all Marxists from the country. Like we have to have a, a conversation with these people. And I think that's, that's been like the biggest thing that I've attempted to do with my Twitter is that I'm trying to basically like break the lies about what not just libertarians, but ANCAPs and what the, the Boogaloo movement, like, the, the entire media narrative about it has been so wrong, so deeply wrong that I'm just trying to get across to people that like, you don't have anything to fear from these people. Like even my therapist today, I was talking to him about it and he was like, do you think there's going to be violence after the election? I was like, I was like, well, I think that there'd be right-wing violence only if they, they believe that Trump actually got robbed of the election. If that happens, I could see militias rising up. And he was like, really? What? Like, he's like, hey. I don't, what's up? Oh, I just said maybe. Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, yeah, that's all I said. I was like, I th- that's the only way I could see it possibly happening. And he's like, he's like, oh, I don't think so. The right wing, they don't have any, you know, violent tendencies. And I was like, well, you're you're right for the most part, but there are some that are are very uh, attached to their guns and their freedom, and they will fight for it eventually. And he's like, he's like, oh, you mean like the the white supremacists, like the Nazi crowd? And I was like, no, th- that's not at all what I mean. And he was he was very surprised by it. And I was like, I was like, let me just tell you, there are tens of thousands of militia members that would welcome a black, brown, whatever person into yeah. their compound as long as they hated the government. Like that's, that is their number one focus. And if you've heard otherwise, I, well, granted, there are certain groups out there that are white ethno state type people, but they're a small minority in my experience compared to the people that just are terrified of the government and want to fight them really, really badly. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do is like, just try to express to people that you know this there is no racial orientation with with my ideology whatsoever like if you love freedom i love you that's as simple as it gets and i hope that that message comes across because it's uh it's something that needs to be conveyed i think well that's that's something we have to fight because racialism is is it's evil it's insidious it's like you know and that's what the left is that's what makes the left so evil is is using this collectivist racist narrative that basically everybody in the same in the same group believes the same thing acts the same way it's, it's i mean this is nazi shit i mean it's coming from the left but this is like this is that polylogism is that that nazi shit where you know it's not individualism 
No, no, it's not. There's, and an, it's attack also- on, there's an attack on individualism too. You know, your individualism. What is what is the first thing that a collectivist thinks when they hear the word individual is? Selfish. Selfish. Exactly. How selfish is it that I respect your individuality? How 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 selfish is it that when I'm talking to you, ultimately I'm going to let you make your own decision. I might try to persuade you, but I'm going to let you live your life. I'm going to let you live to your destiny. And I'm not going to aggress against you because right. you haven't aggressed against me. And we how can be that, friends, by the way. Be friends. <laughs> now, now, is that selfish? Is individualism selfish? Because individualism is not so much about what I'm getting. It's about how I treat everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I treat everyone as an individual. So right. that affects everybody. Now, collectivism is about what's in it for me, really. I would feel better if you treated this person this way. If you gave this to this person, that would make me feel that collectivism is self- selfish. Individualism is the opposite of selfish. So well, we gotta not, find that not, just, not just that, but collectivism also excludes someone by its very nature because it's like they always have to take from someone who's not willing to cooperate in the collective. So it ends up being right. de- deadly at, at the end right. of the day. And, I, I and that person is not going to want to give either. Because someone's already taken. Like, right. hey, it's not my job, man. Government government takes care of the poor. They take 40% of my fucking money for that. That's that's exactly why, where I'm at. Why do I need to give? Let, that's their job. They got the monopoly on that. Yeah, they, I, they, think, I think that's the biggest misconception about libertarians is they go, oh, you just want to keep more of your money. And I always go, well, yeah, that'd be nice. But more importantly, I'd like to take care of my fucking family. Like, I, I have tons of relatives that aren't nearly as well off as I am that I could assist deeply if I was able to retain more of my earned income, more of my property. And I can't do that in this current system because I'm getting taxed to death. And that's a problem. I mean, not only that, but the government takes the money and uses it to kill people. Whereas I take the money, I invest it, I grow it. And then I, you know, I, I create jobs and then I am able to take care of my family, which goes out and buys things. Like there's so many net positives that come from my, my belief in individualism that, somehow it still gets conveyed as just being selfish. And it's just like, it's so tough to convey it that it's not like- Well, you touched on the the perfect point. I mean, like, I'm not saying I've made a lot of leeway with leftists on Twitter, right? I mean, some, sometimes maybe. But the the, the point that I always use is what I'm gonna, they're gonna tax me my money so they could drop a bomb on some brown kids in the Middle East. Right. That's what you want me to pay taxes for. That makes more ground than, than almost any other argument. It really does. I know. I say it. I say it constantly. And it's because, and you know, I don't just say it because it's a good um, argument. I say it because it's the most egregious thing that our government does. I mean, they, they steal money from me to go kill innocent kids. Like if there's anything more, you know, more fucked up than that, I don't know what it is. So it's like, yeah, you should, you should hammer people over the head with that. Like my, my buddy who, you know, considers himself libertarian endorsed Bernie Sanders in the, uh, in the primaries. And I was just like, what are you doing, man? Like he, he's just completely lost, lost the plot on, he's just like, well, I would, I would like my money to be spent better. And I think Bernie would do that. I was like, oh, you've totally lost any, uh, any ground to argue with me. Sorry. That was a total tangent. I don't even know how I got on that. Oh, that's good. Because the guy I told you, I've been working on some Marxists and I was working on a Marxist that was, that was voting for Bernie. And he was talking about the new tax plan and the health plan and free college and all that stuff. And it came out to like $90 trillion. I just said, it was so simple. 
Okay, so there's 300, there's 350 million people. There's like 200 million taxpayers in this country. Let's divide that by 90 trillion. That's it. That's like $60,000 a year per tax person. That's what you're asking for, okay? Like, like here's the math on paper. I don't even need a calculator. We'll just do it on paper. That's, that's, that's the, and that's all you have to do sometimes. Well, if you want to really, really drive the point home, you should take out all the kids from that calculation that it's 100K per person in taxes per year. Yeah, it's, it's something like so ridiculous, but they could print. I don't know. But it's something that's so ridiculous that it's like, like, come on, man, you know? Well, I think that's the hard part for me is that people are really losing losing a grasp on on reality when it comes to economics because, and I know it, that's why I always laugh when when I hear about, you know, college educated doctorate level economics people who who think that you can just print money endlessly endlessly without any ramifications from it and and they think that the austrians are the crazy ones and it's just it's just so bizarre to me that like i have to argue against printing trillions of dollars like you you can't make that immediate jump in logic to just go like oh this is a disaster like you're going to create inflation like for sure yep. that's what's going to happen I, this is not an austrian argument this is just logic and well the inflation's built into their cycle i know they they actually three to four percent is built in yeah that's that's the ideal number of inflation as if as if there's an ideal rate at which your savings decrease in value it's just fucking it's so frustrating but i i'm uh i'm exhausted they're math they're math theorists (laughs) they're math theorists so they they use more math than us i I even have to admit they use more more math than us they don't use enough cracksology you know i agree I agree. That's Reminds me of a joke point. about the um, the math theorist and the practical mathematician looking for keys in the parking lot. Oh, the math theorist starts at the upper left hand corner and goes space by space, while a math practicalist starts around his car. You know right. what I mean? Like they're not keyed in to the praxeology part, to the common sense part. You know? But who knows? They they own academia. They own the modern concept of economics. Well, you know, who, who are we, right? Well, they, they own it for now. But as, as a guy who's ran a business for, you know, a decade now and has been in the, the private money lending industry for 15, uh, let me tell well, you, there is no there is no such thing as a free lunch. It's just, it's not going to happen. They, they think that, you know, they're going to have the reserve currency forever. It won't happen. It won't last. Modern monetary theory will be a, a basically a, a rebranding of, massive printing and it's not going to last and we're all going to pay a price. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to get my assets into, you know, hard assets. Cause it's just, yeah, the clock is ticking. Oh, I, I got a story. You know, this is the first time I've been on a podcast. I want to tell stories. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but last year I was selling gold. I, I did. I, I knew that. Yeah. 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 And I'm not, I can't say the name of the company because I quit because they were crooked as shit, <laughs> but, um, and they signed me all kinds of, I had to sign all kinds of NDAs. But anyways, they were talking about where the economy is going and everything they said was right. It was a year ago. Jewish, you know, Jewish people uh, owned by Hasidic Jews. They come in, they walk around, they talk to us, they leave. And I mean, we had an overhead of $13 million a month wow. on lead generation. Right. So like, so like they would talk to us every morning and, and the things they were talking about, here's what's going to happen. Here's Here's what the central banks are doing. Who runs the central banks? Well, it's the Bank of International Settlements. Um, not a lot of people know that, but the BIS is the bank for the central banks. They're the ones that are making all the decisions. Right. What they're going to do is they're going to try to digitize everything, 
you know, create an economy that's based on nothing so that they don't have to deal with the business cycle and they don't have to deal with recessions or whatever, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't think people know, I don't think people know how imminent that is. Well, that, that, that's everything. I mean, with the Bank of International Settlements talks to 63, 64 central banks belong Mm -hmm. to that. Central banks tell tell all the little banks. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I don't think people know how imminent it is that, that we're going to have central bank, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies. Like it's, it's right around the bend. Five years max. I think less. Five years max. And if only they could use that blockchain technology for voting, you know, that'd be (laughs) good. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that is really interesting. And I, uh, I was fortunate enough to buy a shitload of silver, um, right as the economy was shut down because I was spooked to hell. Like when they shut down the economy, I was like, oh, we're like, it's over. Like, here we go. And I was wrong because they printed trillions of dollars. It basically kicked the can down the road enough that, you know, we still have a little bit of time. But as I've been saying on my show for months now, it's it's incumbent upon all of us, not just to look out for ourselves by, by getting into either crypto or physical assets, but also trying to get a, you know, our friends and family to do the same. Like it is, it is imminent. Like it is not, it is no longer, no longer some theoretical that's going to happen to our kids, kids, kids. They're printing trillions of dollars this year and it's just going to get worse. They cannot, they can, they can't stop the the spigot. Like it has to go forever at this point. And I just think that that's a recipe for disaster. That's the future. I got a son. He invests in crypto. Nice. 20%. And then 20% in metals. Hell I yeah. got a brother that was mining Bitcoin 15 years ago. Ooh, how rich is he? Um, he's, he's, he's on another strategy. Let's just say he doesn't have to worry about money for the rest of his life. We're all jealous of the motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> Good for him. But, you know, I, I explained to my son about fiat. And I don't want him to like, you know, like, look, go ahead. Ride, ride, ride the wave right now. Ride the NASDAQ. You know, NASDAQ's up even more than Dow. Go ahead and write it, but diversify and make sure you get some money in crypto, make sure you get some money in metals because in the end, not even crypto, but metals is, is, is the only thing that's real money. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I, I'm in the same camp. I, while I think that crypto has tremendous upside, I, I agree with you. It's ultimately, in my in my view, because it's, it's re- reproducible, like you can create right. Bitcoin one to infinity and just keep the mm-hmm. process going over and over again. There's not any real intrinsic value other than the fact that it took some, some time and money to process it and create the crypto itself. But Which makes it the same as fiat. Exactly. There's, and that, there's and no that, intrinsic value, but we're agreeing upon it outside the government's purview. Yes. You know? And it's, and it's exchangeable. It's, it's hidden. There is value to it. So don't get me wrong. It's just, it shouldn't be worth 15 grand, you know, like <laughs> it's maybe, maybe, I mean, look, that depends on who comes to shut it down and how could they? No, no, no. Maybe, I know. I'm just saying it could get to hundred grand. You know? I'm just saying, I don't think there's any reason for one cryptocurrency dollar yeah. to be worth 15 grand. Like obviously the 15 grand is fictitious. So it's, it's just an arbitrary number, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's all these other cryptos out there that it just doesn't make sense to me that Bitcoin is worth, you know, a hundred times what any of the other ones are. It's, it's, it's a little confusing, but at the end of the day, yeah, whatever, whatever gets true. adoption is what, where the value lies. So Bitcoin's the adopted you, thing. So there you go. Have you listened to like a Donnie Gebert on like uh Econones or. I maybe, but I, I don't remember. So he's the guy that talks about blockchain for everything. 
He's about everybody being their like their own congressman through blockchain. Nice. And he's he's out there, but it's beautiful the way he talks about how blockchain can change everything. I mean, we're not talking about money. We're talking about voting through blockchain, insuring through blockchain, the ledger. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've I've read I've read a ton about it. I I understand the the concept pretty well, and I understand why it's so powerful, and I understand why it's so important, and I understand why it's so. Uh, freedom oriented. So like, I'm a huge fan. Don't get me wrong. I just, yeah. the Bitcoin uh, infatuation is a little confusing to someone who, who understands yeah. you know, fiat currency and <laughs> it's over my head too, man. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think there's very few people that truly, truly understand. Yeah. I'm followed by one of the guys who wrote papers, um, I guess in like 06, 07 or whenever crypto first became a thing. And, and, uh, I, he's above my head. Like I read his stuff and I, and I'm like, I get it, but I still, I still have enough doubts that I don't want to throw all my money into it. So it's tough. Um, but I, uh, obviously I'm kicking myself now. I needed to have diversified a few months ago. I, uh, I am building six houses in uh, Southern California. And once, mm-hmm. once those get sold, I will be able to diversify. I'm hoping Bitcoin mm-hmm. won't be a hundred thousand at that point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You're, Anyways, you're, you're doing real estate in Southern California. Man. I know dude. It's, intense crazy that that takes some balls man oh dude it's it's so nerve-wracking i believe me i I was a hard money lender so i had no interest in getting into this arena um but i stumbled across a a parcel of land two years ago and i started to develop it and subdivide it into six you know single family buildings and i you know i i hoped to have been out of it a year ago but the city took so long to give me approval on everything that i'm just laying foundations this month and it's super nerve wracking. I never expected the fucking government to shut down the economy. So, but I also didn't expect real estate to skyrocket in that environment. None of this shit makes sense. I'm just trying to get my money out so I can get safe and get the fuck out of here. It's really intense. <laughs> oh, when you figure when you figure it out, tell me. Please. Yeah, dude, for sure. I'll, I'll pass it on. Anyways, you got any other stories you want to convey? No, I, you know, it's good. It's cathartic. I told you I needed therapy. You gave it to me. I uh, appreciate Thank it, man. So- yeah, yeah, I'm glad glad to have you on and uh, tell people how they can find you and we will uh, publish this later tonight. Yeah, I, I do nothing. I I write, I've written 12 books, but none of them are finished. And, <laughs> but no, I'm uh, I am libertarian in Los Angeles, LA underscore libertarian one in LA. Is that it? I, I don't even know. Like, yeah, no, you, you nailed it first time. It's LA underscore libertarian one. Yeah, on Twitter, you know, you'll see me shit posting all day. That's... <laughs> That's what I am now. That's what this country made me. <laughs> well, he's a great follower, so I hope you guys all follow him. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and thank you for being my guest, Rob. We will check you next time. All right. It's been a pleasure. All right. Peace out, brother. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint, your humble host. You know what makes me feel less humble? All these dope-ass five-star reviews you guys leave me. And the best way to help my show, other than sharing it on Twitter, or social media, or Facebook, or wherever you're at, is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you put your handle in it, I will shout you out on next week's show. I'm already up to 58 five-star reviews on iTunes. I cannot believe the support I've received. You guys fucking rock. Continue to rock. Continue to spread it to your friends. Get them to leave me reviews. Uh, You can say whatever you want in the review. Just make it five stars, and I'll shout you out. I'm going to get you some followers. It's fun. Love you guys. See you next week.